Thank you, Miss Lisa. Thank you, Miss Jim, Miss Brittany. Appreciate everyone that uses their talents for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for his goodness. We'll be in John chapter number one this morning. John chapter number one. This morning we're going to be looking at the subject of the incarnation of Christ. We're going to be looking at the thought of God becoming man. Looking at the thought of the God of heaven taking on an earthly body and living among men. The word incarnation is a word that was coined to communicate this fact of God becoming man. The word it carries the meaning of a spirit taking on a body of flesh. We know that God is a spirit. Therefore, if God is to become man, then a spirit must take on a body of flesh. And we refer to this as the incarnation. And of course, we understand that the incarnation took place on Christmas when Christ was born. In that moment, at the birth of Christ, God became flesh. He was incarnate that he might be able to contribute to mankind a means of redemption that man was incapable of obtaining on his own. There is so much to the incarnation of Christ and um, I feel that the sermon that I have prepared this morning barely scratches the surface of the depth of what took place when God became man and yet I doubt that I'll be able to cover the whole sermon this morning because it is just such a phenomenal subject that God became man. We're going to look in John chapter number 1 for our text this morning. The apostle John in the introduction to his gospel gave us a tremendous explanation of what took place when God became flesh. And so we're going to read starting in verse number 1 of John chapter number 1 down through verse number 14. Then we'll be using verse number 14 as our main text and we'll be using verses 1 through 13 to give clarity and understanding to what is being said in verse number 14. So if you're with me in John chapter number 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 14. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Just a little side note here, that's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Anyway, <laughs> there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse number 14, which will be our main text for this sermon, 
and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, dear Lord, that here in your house among your people, Lord, we can fellowship together. Lord, we can laugh together. Oh, Lord, we can worship together. Lord, we can pray together. We can strengthen one another. We can encourage one another. Uh, oh, Lord, I thank you that you have given us the family of God. I thank you, dear Lord, you have given us the church of God. I thank you, dear Lord, you have given us a place to worship. I thank Thank you. You have given us your word that instructs us and guides us and teaches us and clarifies to us who you are, Father, and what your will is and what it is that you desire from us. Help us this morning, dear Father, as we look at your word, Lord, that we might understand, Lord, just a little bit of the magnificence of what happened when God became flesh. Lord, help us to understand just how powerful this is, that you in all your majesty and all your glory and all your power was willing to come and live as a human being that you might impart to sinful mankind a means of redemption. Help us this morning, Lord, to rejoice in this truth. And Father, Lord, I pray if there be any here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, oh Father, would you, would you through your spirit and through your word clarify to them, oh Lord, an understanding of the word of God, an understanding of salvation, and Lord, a real realize their need, oh Lord, to put their trust in you, Father Lord. It's so true that without you, there is no hope. Without you, there's no point in this life. Without you, there's no eternity, no eternal bliss. Father, I pray, oh Lord, if there be any here lost, that Lord, you will work in their hearts and convict them and convert them that they might put their trust in you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Do be with each one that is here this morning. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In this message, as I've said, we're going to be focusing on the miracle of the incarnation as explained in verse number 14, but we'll be using verses 1 through 13 to give understanding and clarity to the passage. I've mentioned this many times when I preach, but I'll mention it again, that if you want to understand Scripture, you need to look at other Scripture. The Bible tells us that we're to compare Scripture with Scripture. You can pull one verse out and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Just imagine all that I could do with verse number 6. I mean you can take a verse and make it mean or say whatever you want it to mean or say, but whenever you read it in context, an entirely different meaning can be gained. So if we want understanding to verse number 14, we look at the surrounding text. The first thing that we see as we get into this passage of scripture is in verse number 14, concerning the incarnation of God, we see the introduction to the Word. The introduction to the Word. Here in verse number 14, it begins with this phrase, and the Word. We understand that the Word, this title, the Word, is the title that was given to the member of the Godhead who would take on flesh, who would live among men, and who would provide redemption. So we ask the question, who is the Word? This title, the Word, refers to the part of the Godhead that would be the part of the Godhead, the part of the Trinity that would come to earth, and he would be 
to one that would take on flesh, but we understand that this is talking about before the incarnation. This is before Jesus was born. So who is the Word? And that question is answered in verse 1 down through verse number 9 where I believe John gives us the identity of this part of the Godhead identified as the Word. The first descriptor that we are given concerning the Word is His eternal existence. His eternal existence. In verse number 1, John starts out with this phrase, In the beginning was the Word. With this phrase we understand that the Word uh, and understand that the Word is a title that is speaking of a part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. We see here that the Word has always existed. The Word has always been knowing that when the Word was made flesh, His name would be Jesus. Uh, we then realize that according to this verse Jesus has always existed. Jesus was not someone who came into being when he was born in Bethlehem, but Jesus has always existed. And prior to the incarnation, prior to the birth of Christ, he existed as the Word. Uh, we see here uh, that Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem, uh, but at Bethlehem uh, He took on a body of flesh because it was necessary uh, that if someone was going to pay for the sins of mankind, it must be a member of mankind. So therefore God took on a body of flesh at the birth and He became known as Jesus, but prior to this... Uh, he was known as the Word. He has always existed. He did not begin at Bethlehem, but He took on a body of flesh at His birth. This passage teaches us that Jesus existed before the creation. He has continued to exist throughout the ages and He will never, ever cease to exist. His pre-creation existence proves His eternal Existence. I believe that sometimes uh, uh, people, uh, uh, un, un, not meaning to, devalue the role of Jesus in the Godhead because they picture Him only as a babe in a manger. And they don't fully recognize that that babe in the manger was far more than just an infant that had been born, but it was Almighty God. It was the creator of the universe. It was the all-powerful being laying in the manger. It was God who had took on flesh. So we see here that the Word has always existed. I have to confess to you that I've really been into this study and so I'm jumping all over the place. So you'll hear me repeat myself a lot because I'm having a hard time keeping this in order for you this morning. But first we see his eternal existence, but secondly we see his exalted identity. We see his exalted identity. It says there in verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word. If we continue in the verse it says this, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We see two things in this phrase concerning the identity of the Word. First, we see that the Word existed eternally with God. Here John clarifies that the Word who became Jesus at the birth, at the incarnation, 
the Word existed with God. Together and yet a separate identity. We see here an element of the triune nature of the Godhead. We understand that the the God that we serve is one God and yet He is a triune God and here we see an element of this Trinity being exposed. We see God and the Word existing together working simultaneously with one another with a singular purpose and goal. The Bible further confirms this union of the Godhead in Genesis 1 in verse number 26 when God said let us make man in our image we see that the word was existing together with God I believe that we can better understand the redemptive plan of God when we realize that Jesus wasn't an afterthought sometimes sometimes I believe not not meaning to, I believe well-intentioned people misrepresent the babe in the manger as an afterthought. God created man and man messed up so God had to come up with a plan to fix the mistake. Oh no, the Bible tells us as we'll see in just a little bit that the plan of redemption was set in place before the creation of the world. This plan of redemption was already orchestrated. Everything went the way that God planned. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't a band-aid to fix God's mistake. Jesus wasn't something that God thought up in order to fix fallen mankind. No, this was all God's plan. And when I say God, this includes God and the Word and the Spirit. This is the plan that was set in place before creation began. We see that Jesus wasn't an afterthought that God conjured up when things got out of control. Jesus was there when God moved to make man in His image. Jesus was there when the plan to redeem the world was formulated. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20, the Peter gives us a very clear understanding of this. Peter says there in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, he says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Let me just take a sideline right here. Isn't that interesting that the things that we consider most valuable are considered corruptible in light of our redemption? For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily, catch this last sentence, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Understand this, that Jesus was present at the time that they decided on the redemption of mankind. This was foreordained, this was decided, this was set in place before the world was created. Jesus was part of this plan. First we see that the Word existed eternally with God, but next I want you to understand in that phrase we see that He existed eternally as God. It says there in verse number 1, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Not only did He exist eternally with God and was contributing to what was being done, but He was God. 
I will stop right here and say this, that one of the reasons that we have such difficulty explaining and understanding the Trinity is because it's way beyond our understanding. I believe that our best efforts, I believe that the effort that I'm going to make this morning to explain this union of the Trinity that operates as the Godhead, I believe our best explanations fall far short of comprehending all that is entailed in the Godhead. And what we need never do is try to dismantle something because we don't understand it. Oh no, it is there, the Bible teaches it, and it is imperative to our redemption. But we see here that the Word was with God, but now we see a definitive statement that the Word, who at the incarnation became known as Jesus, was God. We see three in one. Catch this. Before the incarnation, before the birth of Jesus, before Christmas, we had in heaven God and the Word and the Spirit. We see this illustrated in the creation when the Bible says that God, speaking of the Godhead, spoke. When we see that word spoke, we understand that this is the Word. God spoke and the Spirit moved. We see that God the Godhead spoke the Word and the Spirit moved and creation took place. Before the incarnation we have God and the Word and the Holy Spirit. After the incarnation, after the birth, we have God the Father who is celestial. We have God the Son who is on earth and we have God the Holy Ghost who is working in and among and through the hearts of men. We see the Trinity explained. We understand that the Trinity existed before creation, or not before creation. The Trinity existed before the birth of Christ, and the Trinity exists even today. Before the incarnation, it was God and the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. There is so much here that I want to try to dive into that I'm going to have to just move on explaining how all this comes together. You know, it's the benefit and the curse of being a preacher is you have to study so much to prepare just a 30-minute message and then when you're preaching the 30-minute message, you want to tell the, so much. You have to remember, don't have time for that. All righty, so we see here the, the Trinity before the incarnation, God, the Word, the Holy Spirit existing completely equal parts of the Godhead. We see after the incarnation, God the Father, the part of the Godhead that remained in heaven. We see God the Son, the part of the Godhead that became flesh. And we see God the Holy Spirit moving among the hearts of men. The Trinity still exists and Jesus in the manger is not any less God than He was when He was in glory. He is not, he is not secondary. We use the terms Father Father and Son because it helps us understand what took place. The Father, God, well, to speak, the Godhead moved on the woman and a part of the Godhead, the Word, became 
flesh. Why did the Word become flesh? Because the Word speaks of communication and God wanted to communicate to you and I the redemptive plan that had been put in place. So the Godhead moved on a woman. The Word became flesh so that the Word could communicate to you and I through our physical senses the redemptive plan of God. This is what took place at the incarnation. We do not have a superior God in heaven and a lesser God in the manger. No, we have the all-powerful, almighty God in a body of flesh for the purpose of communicating redemption to you and I. I'm telling you what, whenever we look at this incarnation, it is amazing what God did for us. In Philippians chapter number 2, verse 5 through 8, we see a description of the process whereby Jesus, the Word, stepped down from the portals of glory to become the sacrifice, the human sacrifice for all of mankind. In Philippians 2 and verse number 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We see here that he was God. He was equal to God. But he took on flesh made himself of no reputation. Why? So that he could bring salvation to mankind. We see not only, we see not only his eternal existence and his exalted identity, but third, we see his unequaled ability. In this introduction to the word and in understanding his identity, we see his unequaled ability. This deity made flesh was more than an idol. Throughout history and even in our day, more so than we like to recognize, there are those who relegate our Jesus to being no different than their idols. Jesus was not a token that was created to give a figure for us to look to. He was not an idol. He was not, uh, it was not just a title. It was not something that was designed and given to mankind that mankind uh, might have something they could grasp. No, this was God. This babe in the manger was God. Completely, 100%, absolutely God. The God of heaven dwelling among men. He was not an idol. He was not just a title. And we see that the truth of this is revealed through his unequaled ability. There are so many doctrines that demoralize the Godhead of the Lord Jesus Christ. They present him as a good teacher. They present him as a good man. They present him as a servant of God. They present him as everything, but they do not want to admit that he's God. He was and is God. God came to dwell among men. 
And we see his deity revealed through his unequaled ability. I see three areas where he excelled in power. We're in verse 3 down through verse number 9. I don't believe these are on the PowerPoint, so I'll mention them a couple times in case you're taking notes. Three areas where he excelled in power. First, we see his involvement in the physical creation. I see his unequaled ability. I see his power in his involvement in the physical creation. In verse number 3 of John chapter number 1, the Bible says all things were made by him. Who are we talking about? Verse number 1 tells us who we're talking about. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse number 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember what I said about the creation? God spoke. The word is evident there in the creation. Here we see that all things were made by the word. And we see here that the Bible is teaching us that Jesus was the energy behind the creation of the universe. He spoke and it was. He stood on the edge of nothing and he spoke the entire creation into existence. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter number 1 verses 16 and 17. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. We see his deity through his involvement in the physical creation. Next, we see his unequaled ability in verse number 4 where we take and notice his ability to provide everlasting life. In verse number 4, it says of the word in him was life. Boy, I'm telling you what, if you are born again this morning, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know that you're on your way to heaven because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you possess eternal life because of the sacrifice that he made. Whenever we read that phrase right there, in him was life, it ought to make a chill run through your soul. It ought to make, a, make hair stand up on your back to recognize that what we are reading about right here, that in the word, in the part of the Godhead that came to become a babe in the word was contained the ability to distribute life, eternal life to all that would accept him in him was life 1 John 4 9 in this was manifested the love of God toward us in that God, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 5 and verse number 11 and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. In John 14 and verse number 6 Jesus speaking he says this I am the way, the truth and the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We see his, his unequaled ability we see his deity power in the physical creation. We see the power of his deity in his ability to give everlasting life. But then we also see 
his unequal ability that in verse the end of verse number 4 down through verse number 9 of John chapter number 1 we see that he fills the world with his redeeming light. It says there in verse number 4 and the life in him was life and the life was the light of men. Men without Christ are hopeless. Men in the darkness, men in the darkness are hopeless. There are things we cannot see and we cannot understand. Last evening, I walked up to my garage to get something. I walk up to my garage in the dark a lot. You just walk up the driveway and the garage is right there. You can't miss it, you know, even in the pitch black. You'd know where the garage is. And so I was walking to the garage last night. And I walked around the side of the garage. It was pitch black. And I walked around the side of the garage and I tripped over a bucket. I was all over the place, floundering around, about to plant my face, finally caught myself. I reached in my pocket, found my flashlight, and apparently Kale had been working on a project and she had left her bucket in the path. <laughs> I don't think I broke your project. But what I'm saying is man may think he knows the way in the darkness, but in truth, man is hopeless in the darkness. We see here that in him was life and that life was the light of mankind. Men lost in darkness, hopelessly on their way to hell. But in the Word was life. And that life can illuminate the darkness and show men the way to eternal life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. Verse number 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehended there uh, is interpreted to mean received. The darkness did not receive the light. And there are so many in the day that Jesus was on earth who rejected him. And there are so many today who continue to reject the light that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ that can give life to your soul. In him was, and the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John is preaching. Look to Jesus. Today I am preaching. Look to Jesus. We are bearing witness of the light that is found in the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all men through him might believe. John, it says, he was not that light. John wasn't the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. The light that he was bearing witness of, we see in verse number 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Just a little side note right here. It is interesting to me that there are those who believe that salvation is not available to everyone and yet we see right here speaking of the light that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man is presented with the opportunity to determine whether or not he will put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one... There is no one who has ever been unfairly cast into hell. They only go there when they choose to reject the light that is given to them from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said of himself in John 8 and verse number 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of the life. We see here in this first part of this message the identification of the Word. We see in verse number 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see there a full picture of what happened when the Word became flesh. But here in the first part of this message, we have simply identified who the Word is. The Word is God. The Word is the Creator. The, the Word is the Almighty. And the Word, God's ability to communicate with man became flesh so that He could communicate with man. We see the identity of the Word. We see that He is God. We see that He has the power to give life. We see that He possesses the light that can deliver men from the power of darkness. We see that He existed before the world began. We see that He was chosen as a Redeemer before the earth was created. And in the second phrase of verse number 14, we find that at the perfect moment in history, the Word became flesh. He was incarnated. That which was spirit took on flesh that He might dwell among men. Now there's much more that I wanted to look at this morning. This is simply the first point. Next we were going to look at the incarnation and how it took place and what it meant. And we were going to go on from there and look at many other things. But this is where we're at this morning. I want to say to you that the Word, God in heaven, took on flesh because the wages of sin for mankind is death. Mankind is an eternal spirit. We've been looking at this a lot on Wednesday evenings, trying to explain this. Man is an eternal spirit living in a fleshly body. The Bible says that when God created man, man became a living soul. Man is an eternal spirit and man will continue to exist eternally. Now, when we speak of the eternality of God, we understand that God has no beginning and has no end. Mankind does have a beginning. We call it our birthday. And then, man never has an end. Man exists eternally. Now, understand this. Because man exists eternally, Death is not an end of his existence. No, no, because the spirit never dies. So whenever we think of death, we think of the end of an existence, but this is not how death applies to an eternal being. Death in regards to an eternal being is when the spirit leaves the body. 
but the Spirit will continue to exist. The Spirit will continue to exist in one of two places. The Spirit will continue to exist, one, in eternal bliss because they have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who came, who lived as a man, and who died in their place as a man that they might have sacrificed for their sin. And so when they die, their spirit lives eternally in eternal bliss. And at the resurrection, they'll be reunited with their body to live eternally in the presence of the Lord. Or if they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, death does not mean a ceasing of their existence, but death means eternal torment. That's what death means. Death doesn't mean that you just cease to exist. But no, the word death in regard to an eternally existing spirit means existing eternally in torment. Jesus has made a way. He became a man. He came and He lived among men. He lived a completely sinless, spotless life. Because He is an eternal being and because He lived a sinless life, He is able to make atonement for the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission. The blood of Jesus is a pure, untainted, unspotted blood that He shed and that blood can be applied to the life of any individual. He had to come as a man. He had to live among men because God is righteous and God's not going to excuse our sin. God's not going to write off our sin. Our sin must be paid for. So Jesus came and lived among men. He lived as a man so that He could pay the penalty of a man that God could righteously, legally forgive Give the sin of mankind. This is why God came and became flesh. It's so that God could legally forgive your sin. So that the spotless blood of Jesus could wash you and make you white as snow. So that you could appear in the portals of glory as sinless and spotless as the Lamb of God. That is what took place. It frightens me to think that there are people who toy with their eternity. They try to believe either one of two things. Number one, how could God send anybody to hell? And if heaven is real, I'm sure that God's going to take me there. Or they try to convince themselves that none of it is true and none of it matters, and that when they die, this life is all there is to life, and it'll all be over with, and they take a chance on their eternity. Why would you take a chance on eternal torment when God has made a way for all of mankind to be born? When God left the portals of heaven, He became a helpless babe. He grew up and lived among men. Why did God do that? So that He could provide redemption for you. You're here this morning. You know the Christmas story. If you're here this morning, you know that Jesus came to earth. Excuse me, you know what the Bible says. You know that the Word became flesh. You know from this sermon this morning that the Word became flesh to make a way of salvation for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. The question is, will you accept what God has done for you? Will you put your trust in Him and allow Him to take care of your eternity? If you would, let's all stand to our feet.
Miss Debbie's going to make her way to the piano. Christians this morning, it's phenomenal. It's beyond our understanding the extent of what God did for us. Let us never, let us never become commonplace about our salvation. Let us never get to a point to where we don't recognize the magnificence of what God did for us. Let us live our life in a way that reflects that we are in awe of what God did for us. It's so easy for Christians to get contented, satisfied, and lose the awe of what God has done. Let us not do that. Let this Christmas season remind us of what God did in making a way for our salvation. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you've never put your trust in Christ, perhaps you're here this morning and you're unsure of your eternity. You don't have to go through life this way. God has made a way of salvation. As Miss Debbie plays on the piano, if the Lord spoke to your heart, you come.